This is John Halsman, and welcome to the latest Around the World in 20 Minutes, which is the flagship of our little local newspaper to the world, where once a week we try to make sense of what's going on around us. And today we do one near and dear to my heart. Uh, I got to know Germany by spending 10 years living there from 2006 to 2015, though I've been traveling to Germany and been involved with its foreign policy elite for closer to 20 now. Two of my children are German-Americans, and so I go back absolutely regularly to see them. And it's a country I know well and drives me absolutely crazy. Because my favorite word in German is a word that, like in most countries, there are certain ideas that are not exactly translatable. And my favorite German word is schadenfreude, which is a word, to t which is a word that uniquely describes the German psyche. It's to uh, enjoy the misfortunes of others. And I'll give you an example. One time I was on a train, and the trains in Germany are invariably late. Don't buy the hype that they're organized. And I said to a conductor who was off duty, do you know which train I now need to transfer to? He smiled smugly and said yes, and then said nothing else and went back to reading his newspaper. And I said impatiently, do you mind telling me what it is? And he said, oh, no. That's what's wrong with Germany in a nutshell. The joy that they take in the misfortunes of others. And I'm trying hard right now to stifle schadenfreude, I feel, for the German foreign policy community. Because for 20 years, I and a number of others, though not enough, far too many American center-left Wilsonians merely hold the hand of the Germans or apologize for the Germans. Because the curse of area studies people who don't study history or geopolitics more broadly as I do is they become captured by the area or the country they study. Rather than interpreting that country for the greater good of the United States or wherever they're from, they become apologists for that country. And I've never had that problem despite living in Scotland, England, Holland, Berlin, Bavaria, and now Milano. I love the places I go, but I never for a second forget that I'm an American or that their foreign policy communities are often woefully deluded. And no foreign policy community of the last 20 years has been worse than the German one. People are just waking up to the fact that Angela Merkel, far from being the greatest stateswoman of our time, as the often wrong Ian Bremmer, my competitor at Eurasia, proclaimed, my goodness, what an error, that and Brexit, breathtaking, that she's the greatest stateswoman of our time. This woman was Stanley Baldwin and Neville Chamberlain rolled into one who decided that holding the hand of the Russians was better than actually seeing what you were dealing with, that having only carrots, a mercantilist economics first foreign policy, was the way to go. And if you only have carrots, you better live in a world entirely populated by rabbits. And unfortunately for the Germans, they've just woken up to the fact that history isn't over, that we do indeed live in a jungle, and that when you're in a jungle, sometimes you find tigers and sometimes you need a gun. And this carrots-only approach has led Germany to drift from a pro-Atlanticist position to one of mercantilist, isolationist neutralism. And the Germans are, there, are, are were warned by folks like me, okay, not the center-left Wilsonians, the Democratic Party, not the establishmentarians like Mr. Bremer, wrong about almost everything, the Paul Krugman of political risk, but instead uh, to listen to realists who would say, you know what? The fact that we defend you from Russia while you're in the pocket of the Russians over natural gas might not be a good idea and is very hard to sell to the American people. 
Undeterred by this lunacy, the Germans were planning to double down under Merkel and ignoring the pleas of the East Europeans, the French and the Americans, we're going to set up Nord Stream 2. And again, this is like a drug addict going to their dealer and saying, will you double my supply? Most dealers will say, yes, of course. And this is what the Germans were insanely planning to do before the Ukraine war finally put pay to this lunacy. One of the black marks to hold against Joe Biden, and one not often made, is that rather than fight what the Germans had Trump has done, he was going to let them go ahead with Nord Stream 2, even though this would have left them 70% dependent for German natural gas. In other words, entirely dependent from a figure of about 45 to 50%. It would have gone to 70 And then, of course, the Germans say, well, we can't do anything because our number one trading partner by a lot is China, and we're the most export-driven major power in the world, and we get almost all our energy from Russia. That's true, but that's a choice. That's a choice the Germans have made over a 20-year period. And so for 20 years, a kabuki dance, highly ritualized dance occurred. I would be invited to the higher reaches of German foreign policy making. I would politely say you need to wean yourself off of dependence on Russian energy to be told that they had the little view of things. It's cheaper. I would say, yes, it is because it comes from next door. But if you diversified supply, took in more natural gas from Norway with no political risk, Algeria with little political risk, and added in Qatar, the swing producer of natural gas, which is a pro-Western Gulf state, very little political risk, and even bought some American liquefied natural gas. Immediately, the Germans would cut in and say, but that's from fracking. We're against fracking. We would rather buy it cheaply from the Russians because, let's face it, there really isn't a political risk with them. Absolutely a thousand percent wrong. In the same vein, they'd say, no, we're not going to spend any more money on defense. And here they hid behind World War II and the Nazis, a defense that's wearing a little threadbare. How many years on now? Fully 80 years on. And we heard this defense. Well, our culture is unique. People don't really want us to rearm, to which I would intrude. Yes, we do, because you're free riding off the American public. You're paying for a ridiculous social safety net by not spending money on defense and having Americans defend you even as you dislike them. And in poll after poll, the Germans have a long, strong anti-American tradition. And I felt like Colonel Jessup and a few good men. You can't handle the truth. You mock me as I defend you from the wall while you despise the very defense that I'm giving you. And we would look at each other with mutual animosity. And the Germans, of course, who couldn't take my high school football team militarily, and this is not me being insulting, it's merely a fact. It's been estimated right now that the Germans only have enough ammunition for two to three days of actual heavy fighting in a Ukraine-like situation. They have hollowed out their military over the last 20 years under Merkel, the most overrated stateswoman of her age. Again, only Bremer would see this as a good thing. My golly, what an awful political risk call. And while she hollowed it out and accepted the peace dividend, logically it followed, you have to assume the Russians are not a threat. Why not buy more natural gas from them? It's cheaper. Our number one trading partner is China. And all of this logically would happen. And then we'd look at each other with animosity and agree to meet again in a year when absolutely nothing had happened. Even the Germans who were marginally sympathetic to my argument would say things, and I hated this phrase, stolen from Merkel, somehow this is not policy, this is merely a bumper sticker, we will do our homework. 
which means don't bother us at some future date, goodness knows when, we'll begin to take you seriously and adjust. But it's painful, and why do that while we're living in the fat, happy aughts right now? The noughties, the 2000s, and the 2010s. And nothing happened. These were all excuses to do absolutely nothing because the dirty secret is the Germans like that world of cheap natural gas, no geostrategy to worry about, isolationism, mercantilism, economics first, their holiday from history. But the problem with history is if you don't master history, it very quickly masters you. And suddenly with the coming of the Ukraine war in a week, the Germans did more than they'd done in the last two decades. Suddenly the new Schultz government agreed to spend 2% of GDP on defense, which is the required NATO number and has been suggested now for two decades. Their current spending is about 1.5%, and it's historically been lower than that. Nothing. And so now they're frantically scrambling to catch up for 20 years of neglect. They've agreed to spend an extra 100 billion euro to update their weaponry, and that's great and to be lauded, but this is to catch up from being behind for the last 20 years. This doesn't catapult them ahead. And they've agreed to get rid of Nord Stream 2 because, you know, giving the Russians money or more money uh, seems now painful because everyone is painfully aware. And Foreign Minister of the EU, Joseph Burrell, rightly said that while the Europeans have given about a billion in aid, this was about a month ago to the Ukrainians, they had already spent 30 billion paying for Russian oil and natural gas. So they were locked in to continuing to pay for Putin's war machine. Absolutely right. But this isn't bad luck. This is the result of a series of a generation's worth of horrible strategic decision-making by an arrogant, maddeningly arrogant, out-of-touch, elite German community that buried its head in the sand and now says, Houston, we have a problem. So I get the schadenfreude. I understand why it's easy to scream, I told you so, when the Germans have done in two weeks what I begged them to do, for the last two decades, and they've only done it under the pressure of a crisis where everything has been revealed, where this was plain, and I've been writing this now for the better part of 20 years. So yes, I want to scream, and I will right now, I told you so. And as to Merkel being a great statesman, Mr. Bremer, perhaps it's time to go back to school, because if you keep making political risk calls like that, I will end up eating all your clients. And the Ukrainians have a reason to be frustrated even as the war has happened and the Germans have moved from this glacial position forward. The Germans, and particular, particularly Schultz, have been accused by the Ukrainian ambassador to Germany of being sulky, is the word, and unstatesmanlike, um, because he's declined to travel to Kiev, unlike almost every other country, because of a diplomatic snub from the Ukrainians. And as Ukraine is on fire, and as we have a major political risk at our doorstop, this does seem like kindergarten, to quote the Ukrainian ambassador. And the reason for this snub is that the odious president of Germany, and I know him a little, Frank Walter Steinmeier, I've been unfortunate enough to sit near him at a number of conferences. He's the king of arrogance and the king of dimness at the same time. In fact, if I had to personify to the last two decades, of German foreign policy making, it would be Steinmeier, who is the architect of the let's re retain our special relationship with Russia. And in typical German sanctimonious fashion, Steinmeier has said, well, we have to do this because of World War II. We have to understand the special needs of the Russians. We have a special responsibility to be in their pocket in energy and spend no money on defense, evidently. But particularly his party and being 
president of Germany is largely a titular role. Being president of his party, you find Steinmeier as the architect, because he was foreign minister twice under two Merkel coalitions in the last 20 years, of this weird social democratic SPD tilt toward Russia. The idea, which again comfortingly suits the German position, is that trade will remake the Russian system. And this is similar to the notion of Barrington Moore in China, that once everyone is doing better and our stakeholders in our system, they won't want to be revisionists. And 20 years of policy, and this just largely was just window dressing to have the Germans do what they wanted to do, which was trade with pretty odious people. And Steinmeier is the figurehead for this. And so knowing this, Zelensky decided not to invite him to Kiev. And the Germans have the temerity under Schultz to be insulted that this archipeaser, this symbol of everything wrong with German policy, has not been welcomed to Kiev, <coughs> excuse me, with open arms. And this is, a, you know, I think perfectly okay from the Ukrainian point of view. The Germans were born to be offended or dying to be offended or dying to change the subject away from policy, away from facts. And because of this, Schultz has said, if you snub our president, the architect of appeasement under Merkel, well, I'm not going to go meet with you anyway. And so there's this childish uh, Germany desperately trying to change the subject, and Europeans love to change the subject by being offended. Let's stop talking about facts and let's talk about form. But beneath it, the Ukrainians have an argument that says that Germany has dithered on arms shipments and energy sanctions against Russia. Um, here's where I have to change my argument. It's fine to have schadenfreude. It's fine to point out every single mistake the Germans have made. It isn't bad luck that they find themselves now behind the eight ball. It's due to 20 years worth of a conscious appeasement, isolationist, neutralist, mercantilist policy that has led us to where we are. But as we'd say in the policy world, we are where we are. And the reality is that the Germans are now moving by their own glacial standards at lightning speed, but even by normal standards rather quickly to make up for this difference. And this must be said, so they are encouraged to continue to finally do the right thing. One, they've indefinitely suspended Nord Stream 2 under the very able energy minister, the Green, Robert Habeck. They've agreed to indefinitely suspend Nord Stream 2 and probably forever. They did this early. Habeck championed this just days after the invasion began. They moved at very quick speed to correct this egregious two-decade error. But let's remember the new government wasn't in power to actually do this. And Habeck and the Greens, although Wilsonians, have been mighty Wilsonians, have been hawkish Wilsonians, much like the Democrats under Truman are guys I can work with. And the Greens have been forthrightly and strongly in favor of Ukraine and giving them more, as have the other junior coalition partner, the Free Democrats, who, although they are penny pinchers to a fault, and in fact, their pro-business balanced budget kind of approach is why they did so well, have said that's out the window. We have to help the Ukrainians. So the two minor parties, the Greens and the Free Democrats, who, by the way, together have more parliamentarians than the majority SPD, have been strongly and consistently hawkish. And Habeck got, did, did away with Nord Stream 2 in a blink of an eye. They are starting to provide heavy weaponry. They're talking about doing more, but they've already provided 50 armored Gepard anti-aircraft guns. And this is this is definitely counts. The Germans have also agreed to replace older tanks of the Eastern Europeans with newer NATO models 
and the Eastern Europeans have given these old Soviet-era tanks to the Ukrainians. And the advantage of this is the Ukrainians are used to working with them. The problem with giving them new NATO kit is they're not used to dealing with it. They don't know how these things work. And so this is a major advantage. So you give them the older kit that they train on all the time. They don't need weeks to train on it. They can immediately use it. And the Germans make up the difference by forwarding new tanks to the Eastern European NATO members, such as Romania, Bulgaria, the Czech Republic, and most of all, Poland. And that's a system the Germans also have not gotten any credit for. So they're beginning to provide heavy weaponry. And this transition period has allowed Eastern Europeans to crucially support the Ukrainians when they need that. And they're weaning themselves off of natural gas. Habeck says they will be entirely divest themselves of this in three years. They're building liquefied natural gas terminals as we speak at German ports, which will be able to onload American liquefied natural gas from fracking. They've reached a deal with Qatar. They've reached a deal with Israel. And so they're diversifying exactly as we hoped. Yes, it's too late, but better late than never. And they're doing this very quickly under the Abel Habeck. And the crowning glory of this third point is that just today, the EU is in the process of having a total embargo on Russian oil, which is a huge moneymaker for the Putin war machine that they're going to. And it will be a, it will cost them economically. The Germans are going to take an economic hit in order to have sanctions that really will cut into Putin's profits. The natural gas embargo was three years away. Maybe we can speed that up. The Americans are good at logistics. The Germans are good at engineering. I don't think there's any reason this can't be made to move more quickly. But two to three years is a reasonable guess. That's what my firm thinks, two years uh, with everybody working very hard. But an immediate cutoff now of Russian oil as of today. That is not a mean feat. In fact, that's the biggest economic sanction the EU have placed up till now. The Germans have been dragging their heels. Now they've switched course under Habeck and therefore this oil embargo, even though they're going to take a hit on this. And at the largest geostrategic level, even Schultz, who let's remember was part of Merkel's appeasement. He was finance minister under the last Merkel government. He now sets great store by looking at a competition of systems at the highest geostrategic level you have the Germans figuring out how the game works. And very quickly and very accurately, on one side of the great powers, you have superpower China as Batman and great power Russia as Robin. On the other side, you have the United States dominate superpower, dominating the League of Democracies, but also the EU Germany, also the EUK Anglosphere countries, and Japan and India. And sure enough, uh, Schultz has gone out of his way to court Japan and India very aggressively recently, both because these are all trading nations. And yes, Germany has vast economic interest in trade. And in fact, in trade is a superpower, but also because Schultz is making a point of this new system where Germany is now firmly in the Western League of Democratic camp, which it had not been under Merkel. It had drifted to this mix of a pro-American neutralist position, and now it is firmly back in the Western pro-American camp. Okay, so I understand why the Germans make you wanna pull your hair out in being wrong and in being arrogant and being blithely naive about how the world works. But beyond the, Schoenfre beyond the Schadenfreude, this is my unlikely defense of German foreign policy. One, they've done away with Nord Stream 2 and are weeding themselves off of natural gas and will be done with this process within three years, which is a blink of an eye after two decades. Two, they are now providing heavy, we heavy weaponry. And they've also allowed the East Europeans to provide Soviet-era tanks while they've 
given them in return new NATO tanks, and this has been important, and they're going to certainly provide more heavy weaponry being prodded by the Greens particularly to do so. Three, they have weaned the country off of Russian oil, and the biggest single thing the EU has done, it's doing today, a total embargo on Russian oil. It's the most important sanction the EU's put in place, and it's been done entirely by Germany agreeing to take the hit. And four, at the largest geostrategic level, Schultz is on the money, seeing these competition of systems as the world evolves at the great power superpower level into a league of democracies and a league of autocracies. That, in a matter of weeks, is not bad. It's easy to take the stick to the Germans. Goodness knows I want to scream from the ramparts, I've been right. And yes, I remember every single analyst who's been wrong laughed to my face about these things and know they shouldn't have a job in line with my obsessive view of accountability and meritocracy. And I know who you are and I'm going to call you out for being wrong. Saying that, this is my unlikely defense of German foreign policy. They're now doing the right thing and relatively quickly on almost every front. They should be lauded. They should be applauded for doing so because we analysts also verbally have to use sticks and carrots. And the German foreign policy machine, maddening as it's been, deserves a very large carrot right now. And that's my unlikely defense of German foreign policy. Hope you enjoyed this latest Around the World in 20 Minutes. Please do subscribe and please do give us the $70 a year we're asking so we can keep giving you this long-term, counterintuitive, but absolutely on-the-money approach to foreign policy. I love working with our Substack community, and let's move forward together. Please do give us the $70 so that we can continue to, to get beyond the schadenfreude. Thanks very much, and have a great day.